Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You are listening to About Progress. This is episode 195, Asking for Help Helps You Stay Strong with Kara Baldwin. Welcome to About Progress. I am your host, Monica Packer, and I am here to guide you toward living the life you want. Each week, you'll hear interviews and teachings on how to balance self-development with self-acceptance. Listen in and join our community that knows life is about progress, not perfection. I hope you have been enjoying our month of encores. This is another episode where I just think everybody needs to hear it. It is with a good family friend of my family's back in Farmington, Utah. Her name is Kara Baldwin. And we talked about this really difficult period in her life where she went through a divorce at 30 years old with four very small children and had to move back home and ask for help in ways she never had to before. Kara is a very strong, smart woman. And even she learned that in asking for help, it made her stronger, not weaker. You're going to love her sense of humor too. There's just something really unique about the Baldwin sense of humor and strength that I know you are going to get a lot from. As I edited these 
encore episodes, I cut them way down because in the beginning, people would listen to hour long episodes and your time is way more limited. And so you typically don't listen to longer episodes now. So I cut them down. The hardest thing about editing this episode was that I had to cut out the new love story of her second marriage. So you can listen back to the original episode if you want to know more about that and just listen to the second half. But I do have to tell you, um, Kara married a really great guy and there's even more to the story there. But what I wanted to focus on primarily here was this period of time that was really difficult, very tough for her and her family, but how in asking for help and getting that help, it made Kara strong enough to do what she needed to do in order to pick herself up, take herself to law school and provide for her very young family and move on with her life in a greater way that she could have if she hadn't asked for that help. That's what we hope we learn from Kara today. My name is Kara Baldwin. I am um, a mother of eight children, four of my own and four stepchildren. I am an attorney and I have lived in Utah most of my life. So we have a lot to talk about and uh, a lot that I know our listeners can relate to. You've been through a divorce. I mean, obviously you have remarried happily and we, we have talked about this beforehand. We just want our listeners to know we're going to be talking about some hard topics, but with discretion in mind. And we're going to talk about more about how you picked up the pieces of your life after this really hard divorce that you went through. So before we get into that, I want to know a little bit more about you and set the stage for everyone. And what were you like growing up and what made you who you were uh, pre-marriage? Well, I was always a high achiever. I did really well in school. Good grades were super important to me. I was involved in a ton of things in high school. Um, nothing that like was a pageant talent. Like I don't have any pageant talents. Um, I can't sing or dance or anything like that. But I'm good at other stuff. I'm good at school. I'm good at I think talking to people. I'm good at um, making friends. I'm good at all sorts of things that you could never win a pageant for. Um, and when I grew up, as I was growing up, my mom and dad were awesome. They never, ever taught me that there was things that girls couldn't do or that I couldn't do. So I really thought growing up that I could conquer the world. There was not a single task that I could not accomplish. And so, you know, that's just how I thought about myself and about um, myself going into being an adult. So I um, got my undergraduate degree in biology, and I minored in chemistry, and um, I loved it. I never changed my major. I knew exactly what I wanted to do from the moment I started college, and I had uh, always planned to go to medical school. And then when I was about maybe a year or so away from graduation, I actually talked to your dad, Monica, and he told me that... He, yeah, he told me that I needed to be very thoughtful about the career I chose because medicine was a jealous mistress. And I'll never forget that phrase. I've never hmm. forgotten that phrase since he told it to me. Um, what and he, what was, he meant? I think he was afraid that because he knew I also wanted to be a mom. And, and I mean, that was, that was only I mean, it was 25 years ago. But things have changed so much in the last 25 years, I think. Yeah. In, in the way that your dad thought about it, medicine was a hard career for women in that time, especially in the time when he was going to medical school. I think less so when I would have been going and even less so now. 
but I really took what he said to heart because I did want to be a mom, even though having a job and having a career was also very important to me. So anyways, bottom line is I, I ended up not going to medical school, although I did go to graduate school and I got a master's degree in microbiology with a minor in biochemistry. And I had planned to work. And by that time I had gotten married and my then husband said that he didn't want me to work at all. He just wanted me to stay home and be home with our, our children. And I liked being home. I liked being a mom, but I always felt like that there was more out there that I should be doing, but that was not ever going to be part of the plan while I was married to my first husband. You know, I think a lot of women can relate to even just the transition to motherhood can be difficult when you have been so achievement oriented your whole life. And, um, and you know, it's not because there aren't achievements in motherhood. There absolutely are, but they're just, they're harder to, um, track, uh, with those little ones. And, um, how many kids did you have, uh, by, you know, by what age? So I had my, I had four children and I had them very fast. I had four kids under five. Wow. Um, my first two kids are 363 days apart. Um, oh, and wow. I just, I did, it wasn't ever intentional. It's just the way that it happened. Um, I'm the, I'm the 1% that doesn't work on birth control. So you're welcome to oh, everybody wow. else who's the 99%. <laughs> um, but I had my kids so close and so fast and, um, and you're right. I mean, at, you know, there's never any raises. There's never any like employee of the month. There's never anything like that at home until you end up having these weird competitions with your girlfriends about whose child walks first and whose child reads first and whose child talks first, because that's the only way that you, that I could figure to kind of mark achievement in what I was doing. Yes. Okay. I can, I can totally see that. And I think a lot of that just comes uh, with, with young motherhood too. I think in time you learn how to let go of all that. And sometimes you're forced to, um, blessed with certain children that humble you to the, to the dust. Yes. (laughs) So how, how old were your kids when you were reaching the end of your marriage? So we struggled to stay married the whole time. Um, Mm -hmm. but but when I was pregnant with my last baby, I moved home back here to Utah. We were living in California, and I moved home back to Utah. I didn't move home with the intention of getting divorced, but mm. then things kind of fell apart while I was here, and it became clear to me then um, that I just we couldn't continue being married. So at that time, my oldest was five, and then I had a four-year-old, and an almost three-year-old, and then I had a six-week-old baby. Oh, Kara. Oh, that's so, that's so hard. Just those little, little ones. That That's they already stressful enough, you know, just, <laughs> just having those little kids. You know, we talked about how we're, we're going to make it really discreet, but what can you tell us about this time when you, when you decided it was um, the, a time to end the marriage? Well, I think because we had struggled to stay married the whole time we were married and we were only married for about seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that in order to do, to make this decision, it had to be completely my own decision. I knew my parents had an opinion. I knew my friends had opinions. I knew my neighbors had opinions. I knew everybody had kind of a position on what I should do, 
But I knew at the end of the day, I had to look myself in the mirror and be able to say, you made this choice and you did everything that you possibly could to make it work. And I think I did. I mean, you know, for a myriad of reasons, it, it didn't work, but I think I did everything I possibly could. And that was, I think I didn't realize it, but being able to say I made that choice in a weird way was the beginning of be- becoming empowered again to make my own choices because mm-hmm. it was my first step in putting my life back together in a way that I wanted it to look like and not not the, the train wreck that it felt like it was. So at this time when you you are getting a divorce, I'm sure it involves a shattering of your identity or, you know, a shattering of what you had once held as your identity or as your path in your life. What was that like for you when it was time to divorce? I think, interestingly enough, because of the way I was married, my uh, my self-esteem took such a hit in my marriage that I felt just ground down to powder by the time I finally got divorced, which mm-hmm. is weird because... I had to make this super like strong and forceful decision to get divorced, Mm -hmm. but I had never in my life been in a worse position emotionally to make a real decision, which is why Mm -hmm. I think it was empowering to kind of compel myself to do that, even though I, I, this tools for those kinds of decisions had been completely stripped from me in my marriage. But um, I think the hardest part for me was, it was humiliating. I mean, my parents lived in the same neighborhood that I had graduated from high school, you know, in. Mm -hmm. And so there was all these people who had seen me kind of be not like a superstar, because that's overstating the case. But, you know, I mean, I had it together when I left home the first time. And then I come back, you know, with this tiny little family and my life in tatters, and no money, and a horrible minivan that I abhorred from like a deep part of my soul. I hated that car, which is so stupid. But it's symbolic (laughs) of like all the things that were wrong. I just hated that car. And then as it turned out, I I couldn't have asked for a better support system. I mean, I still haven't left Mm -hmm. the neighborhood. I bought a house in this neighborhood, because I can't leave. I don't want to leave. Because the people around me in used me with a strength and told me time and time again, you know, you can do this. Like you can, you, you're, you can put your life back together. And they didn't even say it in those words, but they were just encouraging in ways that none of them will probably ever fully understand. And that I will never be able to thank them for, but that was such a source of strength for me at that time to be able to have a really amazing support system um, in my extended neighborhood and not just my family. And then my parents, I mean, my parents are going to heaven, like no matter what they did, yeah. they could they could murder somebody and they would be able to go to heaven because <laughs> they literally saved us. I was willing to do the work of putting myself back together. And I think people saw that and they wanted to cheer me on. They wanted they wanted me to succeed because they could see I was working as hard as I could to succeed. I strongly didn't think I was worthy of that cheering on at that point, but but I was, I just didn't think so, you know? Um, and so it was such a gift from my friends and my family to have that so that I could remember I was worth cheering for. So do you, do you think that it was also difficult to transition to a literally 
depending on others. Because you have a lot of that figurative support that you've talked about, but I'm sure you had to literally uh, transfer a lot of your responsibilities over to your parents or family or friends to help uh, care for your kids so you could then figure out how you were going to support them and, and, and move upward and onward. I did. And luckily, like I said, I have great, great, parents and an amazing brother my favorite part of this whole story and (laughs) I get emotional every time I tell this part my brother is six years younger than me so he was 24 when I came home and decided to get divorced he was living on his own back east he'd lived there I mean he'd lived on his own since he was 18 he was in a band and they were starting to get popular like for real popular they were um you know, the listening stations at the Tower Records store, they were on the listening station and they did some, wow. some had some music on public radio. I mean, they, and they toured. I mean, they were becoming an actual real life band, not just my brother plays with a garage band kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. But he had this, he had a job and he had a great, a great apartment. And he lived with some really good friends. And I called him and said, Dick, I'm coming home. I'm going to stay. I'm going to get divorced. I told him I was going to get divorced. And he and I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Because it was, I mean, it's hard to come home to your parents. You're 30 years old. You've been a grown-up for a while. And then you have to be back. Like, do I have to tell my mom where I'm going? I'm 30, you know? Yeah. I didn't know how to navigate all of that. My brother quit his job. He quit his band. He broke his lease. And he moved home. Oh, my goodness. Just to help me. That is the only reason he moved home was to help me so that I wouldn't have to do that part alone. Because so I only have him. He's, I just have one sibling. And he and I, we always get along with our parents. But you know how it is when you're a kid. Sometimes you have to kind of band forces as kids. Yeah. You know, not against parents, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And he did that for me. And I will never, ever be able to repay him for that, ever. So I had to rely on him. He's just so gracious and so kind and so wonderful that he never made me feel like I was exacting some high price or that this was such a burden on him or that I had, you know, shifted and changed his life in some terrible way. He just was there to love me and love my kids and help me. Oh, there's so many lessons in that. I mean, bravo, right? But it shows a lot about your family system, though, too. That that's how he was raised to be. Yeah, and that's, I can't discount that because I know a lot of women in my position don't have that kind of support. So, yeah, I, I mean, yes, I put my life back together, and yeah, I went to law school and I did these things, but the truth is I had so much help. So if, to pretend it was all me, I did that, that would be completely disingenuous. I think that for me, what I had to finally come to terms with was I there was just no possible way I was going to be able to take care of my kids long term if I didn't accept the help in the short term yeah and and I knew that as hard as it was to humble yourself basically and say hey mom I need you to babysit for free for two years while I or three (laughs) years or four years or seven years you know I need you to do that for me while I go back to school and start my career I mean, it just, it requires a whole bunch of humble pie. And, and I don't, I think I could look mostly at my kids and say to yourself, say to myself, okay, I'm investing in their future because I'm investing in my future. And so for them, 
I will eat crow. I will do this for them. Had it been just for me, if I had just been single, I, I think I would have, I would have, it would have been different. Mm-hmm. You know, I often speak about how women must do habits differently. And one of the biggest reasons why is simply biology. In other words, hormones. Our hormones are a real factor to how we feel physically, mentally, and emotionally, and they constantly change day to day and year to year as we age. My friends warned me that the hormone roller coaster gets harder as we get older, and they were right. From worse PMS to more aggravating period symptoms to all the things that come with perimenopause and menopause. If you're wanting help with that hormone roller coaster, I want you to check out today's sponsor, Happy Mammoth, and their supplement, Hormone Harmony, a bottle of which is sold every 24 seconds with over 17,000 reviews. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. And here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible perimenopause and menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas, and so much more. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all of those things. If you want to feel more like yourself, make sure you go to Happy Mammoth and find Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code PROGRESS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code PROGRESS for 15% off today. Well, you were, yeah, you were doing it for the, for the greater good of your family. Um, yes. And I love that though. I mean, because sometimes, I mean, the easy choice in that situation is to, to only see your own suffering, you know, that's human nature. And you rose above that too. And I want to talk about how you started to take your life back and, um, what you did to become the master of your own destiny again. And you mentioned law school. So let's talk about that. Like I said before, I had always planned to go to medical school. And at one point, actually, when I had left my first husband an earlier time, because it took me more than one try mm-hmm. to be able to to do that, I had studied for and taken the MCAT, which is the medical school entrance exam. And I had pretty yeah. good scores, good enough scores that could have gotten in somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so when I finally got divorced, I pulled out my old MCAT scores and they had just expired, like literally just oh. expired. So I thought, well, maybe, I mean, I'm 30. I'm not super young, but I'm not super old either. You know, you, you think you're old when you're 30, but you're not. You're like a little tiny baby. Um, <laughs> but but I thought, you know, I could sit for the M- MCAT again and I could do that. I could go to medical school. I could kind of live that dream that I had had to turn away from when I was younger. And maybe this is my chance to do that. So I looked at how long that would take. And then I was talking one day to Dave Connors in our neighborhood and and said something about, you know, I, I really don't know what I'm going to do. I could go work at a lab, but I would make not very good money. I would have no job flexibility, very little upward mobility, not the kind of life I wanted to give to my kids. Like we'd never be able to have piano lessons. I wouldn't be able to take them on trips. I wouldn't be able to do any of those things. Mm-hmm. And so he suggested, I think, about law school, which I had never thought about before. 
And I did the math and realized I could sit for the LSAT and be out of school in four years, or I could be at best two years into medical school in four years, which oh, is nowhere yeah. near done with medical mm-hmm. school. So the truth is, I did not go to law school for some noble save the world, you know, right all the wrongs reason. I went because it was faster than medical yeah. school and I could have a real job making real money long before I would ever have a job as a doctor. So that all happened very fast. My um, husband at that time, he quit his job. So we didn't have health insurance. We didn't have any money. We had nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to go right back to work. So I was trying to work and have a baby, have a little baby and three other little kids and try to think about law school and try to get divorced. So I didn't study for the LSAT really at all. I walked in cold. I took the LSAT in December. Um, so right in the middle of getting divorced. My divorce was final in January. I got my LSAT scores a little while later, applied to law school, and started the next fall. Oh, my goodness. That is nuts. Um, and I worked that whole year because I had taken on um, some debt out of the divorce. Um, and I worked that whole year like a dog. So I worked really, really hard, and I started. I paid off that horrible minivan in August, and I started law school the very like that very week. I was at ground zero. I didn't have one red cent to my name, oh, wow. but I didn't owe any money anywhere. But I didn't. I literally didn't have ten dollars in my checking account. I had no money. Wow, Kara. So I started law school, and then. Um, and then borrowed a gazillion dollars to go to law school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So most people after, I mean, every divorce is traumatizing. And I, it takes years to, to get that healing. So not only are you, you know, still healing for years, you're also going to law school with four kids and um, trying to navigate all of that. How did you do that? <laughs> what did you do to get through that time? And and how were you able to shift your mindset about it um, in a way that uh, enabled you to do what you needed to do? So I think being very goal-focused and driven as a, as a younger person absolutely came in to be, it was the most invaluable character trait I could have ever had. Mm-hmm. Because all I did was just put my head down and get to work. I didn't feel like I had the luxury of falling apart because I really didn't. I mean, I had four little kids. I didn't have time to fall apart. I couldn't. Um, On the weekends when they went to see their dad, then I would, you know, my parents, again, bless their hearts, would listen to me, try to talk through the emotions and try to figure out how I felt and try to sort through as much as I could. But the truth is having something like law school and the work of four little kids was probably my saving grace. Because I always had a job to do. I always had a task to do. So I was very rarely at loose ends. And I think if you're at loose ends, at least for me, then it's much easier to kind of wallow and feel sorry for yourself and not accomplish things. But I didn't have that luxury. And I think that that really and truly made all the difference for me. So the work saved you. Yeah. And then the side benefit is that that I liked law school and I did yeah. pretty well in law school. It really did save me. It gave me, it gave me purpose. And 
it started, that was also another piece of what made me feel like, okay, you're not a terrible loser. Like, you can do this task, you can do this hard thing, you're doing well at this hard thing. Um, and it was that was very empowering. So I love to talk about how people uh, use goals to help themselves, and everybody does it differently. Um, what what did you do during this time? And maybe that carries on to now, too. Uh, how do you go about setting your goals and uh, just tracking them, tracking your progress with them? Um, so as a family, every year when I – so one thing I do want to say is um, – I wanted my kids to have a super strong family identity, even though we weren't your typical family, especially living, you know, in Farmington and Davis County and this neighborhood, we felt very abnormal, mm-hmm. you know, to be a single parent household. So we called ourselves the magic five, which is what Cute. it's a term from my law school class. Actually, when you're in law school, you get put in this group of five people and you have all your classes, your first year together with the idea that you'll study together. And it's kind of a built in friendship, but I appropriated the name. And gave it to my family so that we are the magic five. And that's so definitely our brand. It is our, we all think of it as our brand and it has given us such a strong identity. Um, And so, you know, we set family goals at the beginning of every single year and we set individual goals and I just write them down and then we talk about them and we do them. I mean, it's not, it's not magic. It's like what everyone Mm -hmm. says to do, write them down and then look at them often. And that's how we do it. I'm a list maker, like a neurotic list maker. Like I like to put things on my list for the day that I've already done so that I can have the satisfaction of crossing them off because yeah. I love doing that, which is totally padding. It's cheating. But um, <laughs> I, I, that, I mean, that's really it. There's no magic. It's just doing it, mm-hmm. you know, writing it down and doing it and, and being willing to make choices. You know, when I didn't have my kids in law school, um, on a weekend, I would study the entire weekend. But then when I did have my kids for the weekend, when I came home from school on Friday, then we would play. And we'd play on Friday and we'd play on Saturday. And if I gave myself the chance to play with them, then I would, then I could, I could let myself have those days. And then, then that was the reward for working hard when they were sleeping. So as soon as they'd go to bed, even on the weekends I had them, I would get back books and study but Mm -hmm. I've been able to spend a whole bunch of time with my kids and so that was my reward for studying I I wanted to ask about the goals but I want wanted to also talk about uh some self-care so how did you not totally lose yourself still uh during this time of law school um and and trying to still balance your kids what did you do to take care of you well I I I saw a counselor off and on for a while and I did that for a long time yeah um my my dad had this really awesome little blue two-seater BMW and he would let me drive it and as dumb as it is I felt not frumpy and momish and like I didn't wear dorky shoes and mom jeans when I was in that car I felt like a million bucks and it seemed so small but it was so huge to me, mm-hmm. you know, because I Confidence. felt so worthless. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the reasons that my husband and I got divorced had really kind of attacked my core, really, really fundamental perception of myself, mm-hmm. really fundamental. And so, which I think is common in divorce. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you feel like a failure all the way around. But um, 
being able to drive in that car and as dumb as it sounds, have some guy, I don't care if he was checking out the car or me, I could pretend it was me. Yeah. And it felt, it felt awesome. It felt awesome. And maybe that's not like feminist power enough. I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to say anymore, but it Who felt cares? good. Yeah. It's what you want to <laughs> yeah, say. It, exactly. It felt good to drive that car around and, and feel cute for mm-hmm. five seconds again. You know, it felt really good. Love that. Um, and then, and then my mom, again, my mom and dad were so good to make sure that any way that they could help me feel empowered and to feel good about myself, they did that. They did, they, they made sure that I had the time and the space and the opportunity to do the things that I could um, for my kids and for myself so that I didn't feel like I was just a big fat moocher. Mm-hmm. And that made a huge difference in my own self-perception. Yeah. And then the one one thing that I I decided when I was married before we went on one family trip, one, mm-hmm. and I traveled a lot more when I was a kid with my family, and I decided that I some of I never wanted my kids to utter the phrase, "Well, I couldn't do blank because my parents were divorced." Like I never wanted I them to say that. Mm-hmm. That was such a big deal to me. So one of the things that was important is that we were able to go and I, I did things we couldn't have, we shouldn't, I shouldn't have afforded really, but emotionally we had to, mm-hmm. we went on lots and lots of Grand High Adventures, lots of them. We, we took trips all the time. In fact, just before I started law school, so Spenny was still a little tiny baby. He was barely one years old. Um, and Zach was six and Ab was five and Ray was four mm-hmm. by then. Um, we went on a two and a half week road trip, just me in that horrible minivan with no, like with the cranky roll down windows and no cruise control. And we drove all the way from, from Salt Lake across to Reno and then over to the coast. And then we just wended our way down the Pacific coast highway for two and a half weeks. We camped, we stayed in hotels, then we'd camp again, then we'd stay in a hotel and it was that that trip for me was life changing because I realized I can totally do this. I can totally do this. There's nothing that I need to do as a mom for these kids that I can't do. Wow. Well, what inspired that trip then? What made you decide to even go? Was it just like, I, I want know. this back? Like I... I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I wanted to set the tone for my new family, for the Magic Five, mm-hmm. that that was the kind of family that we were, that we did stuff. This is just my favorite thing about you is that you don't let life happen to you. And I, I'm sure for years you did. I mean, I'm sure for much of that marriage, that was what you had handed to you. Um, that's what you had to do to survive was let life happen to you. But it seems like this, this, uh, end of the marriage and your progression after and how you chose to change your view of your own ability to change things is what really shifted. What do you want to say on that? Um, I think that, I think that you, you are the master of your own destiny and you get to choose for you what your life is. And that is, that's incredibly empowering. And, and I think too often it, it's too easy to give over to the thought that, well, this terrible thing happened to me and this horrible experience, you know, I had, to, I had to have that. And those things are true and terrible and horrible things happen. But at the end of the day, 
you 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 write your own story you you choose your own life and and no one else really has the power to do that for you you're the only one who does and you know it's a lot of work and it's a lot of energy but at the end of the day your story is what you make of it your life is what you create and i wanted to create something awesome absolutely and that that's too passive i've never been a very passive person until I was married the first time. And then I became, because that's how I, that's how I could survive that experience. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I didn't want to be that person anymore. My dad said it was so fun to watch, watch his Kara come back as I went through this process. And that's really how it felt is I was, I was becoming me again. And, Mm -hmm. and it's not like my first husband was intentional and tried to be terrible. It's just that that that's just the way that it happened. You know, it's mm-hmm. just the thing that happened. And so I had to fight to get me back. As, as I uh, end each episode, I like to ask uh, this question and it's, what have you learned about yourself the past few years? We talked about more about uh, the past. So now let's talk about more the recent few years. What have you learned? I had no idea how strong I was. There is no way I could have truly plumbed the depths of my own strength had I not had this experience. I mean, I would have had a fine life. I'm sure if I'd married, you know, someone who thought I was great the first time, I'm sure that would have been great. But I would have had no idea the power that resides within me to to do what I can do, to be who I can be. And to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. And it's not like I feel like I've accomplished everything. But I know because of the experiences I've had that I have the strength to do absolutely anything. But I wouldn't have known that otherwise. Well, Kara, I love talking to you. And I'm just really grateful that you would take the time. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you. It's been fun. I am so glad you listened to get the hug and kick in the pants you needed to grow. Let's take your learning to the next level. Print off this month's progress plan that is free by going to my website aboutprogress.com slash free. Also join our free and private Facebook group called A Work in Progress via the link in my show notes, which you can also find on my website aboutprogress.com. And best of all, be heard on this show. Be featured on the last episode of each month that is called Dear Progressor where our listeners really, really shine. To learn how to do this, go to aboutprogress.com slash be on the show. You do have something of great value to share with this community, and we all need to hear you. Thank you so much for being here. And remember, life is about progress, not perfection. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.